0: All right. First Timothy is a special passage in your word for a couple of different reasons, but we're going to talk about that in a second. First, I want to talk about our church is going to be six years old uh, this winter. Yes. And so six years ago, at this time of year, we were getting ready to launch, plant a church. We are meeting with people. We were doing all this stuff, and I... Uh, We felt like God had called us to plant a church. Megan and I and Toby were like, Lord, is this for sure what you're calling us to do? And all of our mindset was just like, we hope people come, right? Like, I don't know if anybody's going to show up. I don't know if anybody's going to come. I don't know if anybody's going to care. Like, that was all all we were thinking about. And we had no idea what was in front of us or how things were going to go. And the church was planted, and I remember going through the book of Acts, and as we were going through the book of Acts about two years ago now, I was reading about how the Apostle Paul uh, appointed elders as he went to different places. And it says he went to this church, and he planted a church, and then he went back and appointed elders, and he appointed elders in this place. And he did that over and over, and I just felt the Spirit of God saying as we were studying through that, like, you need to be doing this. Now... It wasn't that six years ago when I was like, oh, man, is anybody going to show up? I didn't think that there wouldn't be elders one day. I I knew that, like, theoretically, we would have, uh, and just so you know, I'll cover it later, but our word for elders in this church is pastor. I knew that one day we would have other pastors at the church. I just, that wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I was just like, dear God, are we going to survive, right? And so uh, I knew in my mind that we would have that happening one day. But I felt like at this point in time, two years ago now, four years after we planted the church, that this was something that God wanted to do in our church, that the Spirit was moving in. Uh, and so today, I feel very strongly that I spent about nine months praying about it. Uh, after that, I asked the man who I felt like God had led to our church to do this thing. Uh, and, and so today, we are going to celebrate and recognize uh, and give glory to God over the ordination of Ben Bunfill as a pastor at this church. So. It's going to be a much different service than uh, our normal service. We're going to study some scriptures around church leadership, what it's supposed to look like. Uh, We're going to talk about what ordination means, what it doesn't mean. We're going to set some expectations for both Ben leading us and our response to Ben's leadership. Some of you have never even thought about that. Like, I just go to church. Why would I respond to anybody's leadership? Welcome to America, right? You can do what you want. Anyway, and then we're going to remember the forgiveness of our sin and the hope of eternal life by partaking in communion. So that's the plan. that's where we're going to go. Uh, I'm going to pull up our first example of ordination in the book of Acts. We're going to get to 1 Timothy. So if you open your Bible there, I would stay there. But I just want to give you some background information in the book of Acts. So uh, let's take a look. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, just so you know, is Paul who is traveling through town. He is on his way. Somebody who I know is kind and will get me a glass of something to drink because I can tell right now my voice is, Krista, you're the best. Thank you. Um, So Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his way through, uh, yes, look at that. Ask and you shall receive. He's on his way past the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a place where he spent about three years leading a church, had planted a church, and he doesn't want to go through Ephesus because he knew all the people there, had a bunch of relationships, he had places to be, things to get done. So he actually goes to a town a little bit away from Ephesus. And Acts chapter 20 starts, and it says this. Well, in verse 17, he says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, so he calls the elders of the church of Ephesus to come down to him. And then verse 28 is where I want to pick it up because this is going to teach us some stuff about elders. He says this to these elders of the church in Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. There's a couple really interesting things we can learn from this passage. When the New Testament, first off, we'll start here. When the New Testament talks about elders and overseers, we are talking about the same function within the church, okay? Acts chapter 20 says he called the elders of the church, and then here he's talking to these guys who are known as elders, and he calls them overseers. So this is just two different words talking about the same function. That's my theology, at least. Other people have different ideas about this, but I'm pretty comfortable with uh, Paul seems to use these two words interchangeably. So maybe you came from a tradition that called it something else. That's fine. The word overseers in the Greek is the word presbuteros. Uh, I probably butchered. That pronunciation, as you can tell, not Greek, but um, that's where you probably are like, That sounds familiar. Presbyterians, that's where they get the name for their demo- denomination. And the word for overseer is episkopos again, Episcopalians get their name for their denomination from that. But these are all talking about the same function in the church, it's the same word, same idea. In our church, we call it pastor, and you're like, Why? You had Presbytery, you had Episcopos, you had Overseer, you had Elder, and you decided to pick something else. Well, pastor was the Latin word for shepherd. Okay, so when Jesus said, as he left, feed my sheep, that idea of being a shepherd over the flock, which is what he refers to here, care for the flock. So that's why we call it pastor. It's just tradition. Doesn't mean anything crazy. But in our church, the pastors lead the church. There's some oversight to the church, Okay pastor, elder, overseer, whatever you'd like to call it. Again, same position, same function in the church. It says, number two, I want to point out, it was this function was made so. These people were given this function in the church by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So if the Holy Spirit is the one who does this work, then our job is not to vote on people, right? Or like, make people this, our job is to look, where's the Holy Spirit already doing this work? Who has the Holy Spirit called and equipped and gifted and allowed to function in this role? That's different, okay? We're not just like popularity contest here. We're looking for evidence that the Holy Spirit has made this person an overseer. So this is part of the qualifications we'll talk about as for pastors. We'll get there later. But this is why this part of the passage matters so much. If this is something the Spirit of God does, then what we are doing here today is completely symbolic. Okay? This doesn't actually do anything. It's not like we're gonna do this and then Ben's gonna like float out of here in pixie dust and nothing's ever gonna go wrong the rest of his life, right? He'll just like memorize scripture and be like, ha ha, I got ordained. Look at this power I have. No, all of this is symbolic, okay? All of this is symbolic. There's no power being transferred. We're not doing like, right? like not, We're good, okay? So if you're new here and you're like, wow, they did all this crazy stuff, it might be a cult. We might be a cult, but it's not because of the symbols that we're gonna do today, okay? Like, I don't think we're a cult, I'm just joking. But this is all symbolic. We're doing things to express an inward reality as symbols of things, which happens all the time in life. It's kind of like a wedding, right? The ring doesn't actually make you married. It's a symbol of the covenant you took, right? We'll talk about the wedding later again. But this is, that's what we're going to do mostly here today. It's all symbolic. Now, about the actual function of the elder or overseer, or what we would call pastor. Look at this verse again. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to manipulate the church of God. Is that what it says? <laughs> to exercise authority over the church of God. Is this what it says? To tell people what to do in the church of God. Nope. All of those are wrong. To care for the church of God. This function, this, this position within the church is primarily a function of care for the people. Okay, so when we talk about who the Holy Spirit is called and equipped to do the work, we start thinking in terms of who is caring for the people of the church. Not who could care for the people of the church, But who is caring for the people of the church right now? Who is already doing the work of caring for the people in the church? Who has the heart of a shepherd? Who is doing the work of a shepherd in our congregation? So when I asked Ben to consider this last winter, it's been a long time. Sorry, guys. But when I asked him a long time ago to consider this, Ben and Caleb's first question was a valid question. What do we have to do? And in my understanding of what I read in scripture, I'm not asking you to do more than you're already doing. If this is something the Holy Spirit is working in you already, I told them, I said, you're already doing it. That's why I'm asking you. You're already caring for people. You're already caring for the church and shepherding the church. So people can think a lot of different ideas when they hear the title pastor, but primarily, it's about caring for the sheep. Not an authority thing, not a control thing, not a power thing, or an influence thing, or a popularity thing. It's a caring for people thing. And the model we get to follow is a savior that hung on a cross and paid for the church with his own blood. That's the model we're following, right? He was Instagram famous, too. It's just in the Greek. No, he wasn't, OK? He wasn't popular. He wasn't well liked. He didn't sell a million books. He hung on a cross. Okay, second passage I want to take a look at is in 1st Timothy This is a letter written to Timothy, who was a pastor, to use our word, at the church of Ephesus. And Paul gives some instructions to Timothy on what he should do as a pastor. Okay? So we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Look at that sound, guys, getting words on the screen. You guys are the best. He says this. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the first thing we see is that one of Timothy's primary responsibilities as this elder overseers was the public teaching of scripture do you see that and it wasn't an add-on it wasn't some extra thing if he had on the side he could like you know do a little teaching thing right this was the primary function like teach the word of God okay and the second thing we see in the passage is the position involves gifting now listen to me on this because it's important Pastors have gifts that God has given them to care for the church. Pastors are supposed to use their gifts, but the Bible is not anti-gift. We have so over gifts for the most part. Like, that guy's gifted. Does he care for people? No, but he's really fun to listen to. Wait, what? Like, oh my gosh, I like gets so entertaining or charismatic or anything. Not Right? I'm not anti-gift, but I think we've seen how like promoting people who are gifted and don't have the character has gotten us way off as a church in America. So, if if the pastors are not primarily caring for people and using their gifts to care for people, we got a huge problem. Okay, now look at what it says in verse 16. This is one of those verses that is actually just like burned into my soul as a pastor. It says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul does not say, you're a pastor, you've made it, congratulations, you're a level better than everybody else, play a lot of golf now. It's not what he says, Okay. He, see, he seems to say that your soul needs as much watch as anybody's soul because you need to make sure you yourself are saved on the day of judgment as well as the people that are hearing you. So hear me on this. This ordination today, this is not a sign that I or that Ben or any other pastor we ever ordain has arrived. In fact, later in the service, we're going to make a special point of continuing to commit to keeping a close watch on ourselves so that we would be saved. The pastor is a position of care for the church, but also just a regular member of the church that needs the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. Somebody say amen to that. OK. Right. You got to keep a close watch on your soul. I got to keep a close watch on my soul. Paul says it to a pastor. It says, you're not in, buddy. Right. We need to make sure that we're keeping an eye on this thing. So those are the foundational ideas about why we have pastors, what they're supposed to do. Now, the Bible also gives qualifications for pastors. OK. Back to the book of Titus. I said 1 Timothy earlier, I completely lied to you. So if you're in 1 Timothy, like a good, obedient Christian should be, you're going to turn to your right two books. We're going to go to Titus. I apologize. I got real excited about kids' worship, and I lost some details in my brain. We're going to go to Titus. We're going to go to chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. This is what he says. Paul, again, writing to Pastor Titus, he says this to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, pastors, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to those who, re- and to also rebuke those who contradict it. So we have, give or take, 15 qualifications here for the the function, the position of pastor. Good reputation, good marriage, does a good job with this family, not arrogant, not quick temper, not a drunk, not violent, not greedy, hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, and hold firm to the word of God. You see those? Just so you know, these are deal breakers. Okay? Like if you don't meet these requirements or fail in one of these areas, then it would be, obvious to leadership that the Holy Spirit has not called you to this position at this time okay so this is in your Bible so you can do your own research right you as members of a church could look at your leadership and be like does he do this does he do this does he do this does he follow this do we see evidence of this in his life this is for you to like audit us that's fine I'm open to it. My job description is public knowledge. It's right here, okay? It's in your laps. Ben's job description is public knowledge. Well, he has another job too, right? So, But this is function in the church. It's right here. Second thing, notice that all of these qualifications are about the character of a person. We have no instruction about gifting. We have no instruction about method. We have no instruction about philosophy of ministry. So to fit these qualifications and the men who fit these qualifications are going to have different philosophies of ministries, different giftings, different strategies, lead churches that look very different from one another. And that's fine. That's even by the design of God. That's great. But notice entertaining's not on the list right? Charismatic is not on the list. Intelligent is not on the list. These are all character qualifications. And you might also notice that these things are all things that are instructed for all believers, right? It doesn't say like, hey, pastors don't get drunk, but you guys, whoo, let's go Friday. Like, that's not what it says, right? The Bible doesn't say like, hey, pastors should tell the truth. Everybody else, you get three white lies a week, like that's not how it works, okay? These are actually things that all of us are called to, right? It's not as if the Bibles are saying the Bible's saying that pastors are held to like a completely different standard, right? They're things that all Christians should aspire to. So yes, this is something that we are recognizing and celebrating in Ben's life today, but this should also be a little bit self-reflective. We should also look at this and hear these things and be like, oh, the Holy Spirit's doing some work in my heart as well. As we watch Ben commit to his calling, we should be reminded we all have things that we are called to. The Spirit of God is calling us all to things in his body and your calling might be different than Ben's calling it's different than my calling, but obedience should be the goal for everybody. Somebody say amen. Amen. Obedience should be the goal for everybody. There you go, I like it. So, just so you know, at Riverstone Chapel, we believe the biblical standard for how churches are to be led is to publicly acknowledge leaders who will carry the weight of responsibility for the local church. So that's what pastors do at our church in our church government structure. The pastors are the top level of men who carry the weight of responsibility for the church. The picture that the Bible uses of how this works is the picture of the family right? The husband is the head of the household. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's unfortunately not a checklist of things that we go, that man is the head of his household, but you kind of know it when you see it, right? Same thing in the church. We have the pastors that are carrying and shouldering the weight of responsibility for the church, stewarding the gifts, the people caring for the local flock. That's our top level of leadership, decision-making, financial accountability, all of those things in our church. So, Now we're going to shift gears a little bit. I've already told you about the qualifications. Those are the deal breakers, right? These are black and white. You're either yes or no. The things that need to be present in the life of a pastor. Now the question becomes, if we have a man of this type of character and calling, what can we expect this calling as a pastor to look like as he takes this step of obedience? Now, we do the same type of thing at weddings, right? There's the legal portion of the wedding where we, like, sign the uh, wedding, what do you call that thing? Certificate, thank you, right? Wedding certificate, we exchange rings, we have a pastor say, I now pronounce you by the state of whatever, right? We do that legal part, but then we do this symbolic part, which is vows, Right, And the vows, like nobody's holding you accountable, right? I mean, maybe like your mother-in-law is like, he's sad and he's not, right? But like the vows are just an expression of your understanding of the expectations of what marriage is going to look like. In sickness and in health, right? Till death do us part. Right. Nobody is like these are not deal breakers like the qualifications earlier. It's not the legal part, but they are symbolic and they are expressing the expectations for what this life is going to look like. So this portion of our service is going to be very symbolic. Okay? For example, if you noticed on the table in front of me, this is a symbol. This is what Ben is given by God to lead the people. The word of God, the blood of Jesus. That's what's on the table. Right? We're going to present this Bible to Ben. He's going to lead us in communion later. That's all we're given. right? That's all he's given to lead the people. God's word, Jesus' blood. Right? We're also going to go over some vows that are intended to set expectations for the life of a pastor. If you're a visitor, I don't want you thinking that we demanded some sort of adherence to some long list of rules. So like we were in the back, I was like, you need to do this, or you need to do this. That's not what happened. Ben agreed to this willingly. I, as I wrote these things, was like self-reflective and like submitting to these once again and committing to them to you, all right? So if, again, if you're like, they might be a cult, they led this long list of rules and they made him say I do to all of them. Like that's not what we're doing, all symbolic, right? He's, followed, he's got the character. Now we're saying, what do you expect this life to look like as you lead the people? These vows were taken directly from the instruction given, the pastoral epistles in your Bible, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. And they were taken from prayers written by historical church leaders. Uh, so we're going to read some vows. You'll notice these vows are long and poetic, and they're intentionally long and intentionally poetic. They're not boxes to be checked there's something to be contemplated, to be thought out, to be weighty on purpose, okay? We could add very short vows, like you're gonna do a good job, yep. That would feel like a checking of a box. These are poetic and lengthy, and you'll see as I read them, they're intended to be. They should be thought about and reflected on. So, all that to say, I'm gonna invite Ben and his family up right now. Come on up, Phils. you can clap. Absolutely. Now, as they come up here, this is, again, symbolic that our church leadership has identified and affirmed Ben's character and calling, that he fulfills the qualification found for elder in 1 Timothy and Titus, and that we observe that he has, by the Spirit of God, been led to do this work of shepherding and pastoring the people of this church. It's symbolic in that Ben has accepted this position uh, and this calling of God as a pastor of the church, and we're going to go over these vows as a symbolic reflection of expectations of pastoring. I love you, man. I should give you a hug. (laughs) Ben, do you affirm again your faith in Christ? Your conviction to wholly depend on the merits of his life, death, and resurrection. And do you intend to at all times rest yourself in his excellencies, goodness, and loving kindness? I do. Have you been convinced so far as you know in your own heart to accept the office of pastor by the Spirit of God out of love for God as sincere desire to promote his glory and gospel of his Son? Will you now before God and in the presence of his holy church commit yourself to the trust and responsibility of the ordained ministry to which you are called? Will you commit to keep watch over your own life, to be diligent in self-examination, pursuing the character of God according to his gifting in both your secret and public life, not seeking wealth but godliness in order to live holy to your Savior and be on guard against hindrances to the pursuit of the narrow way? Do you intend to pursue God with entire heart submission by a faith that works by love and serves by grace to discharge the duties of your calling in a way that serves as an example to this congregation and is a fragrance of life in the world? Will you live with a heart full of love for God and others and faithfully care for God's people, welcoming the stranger and binding up the brokenhearted, loving them as does the good shepherd to whom they belong? Are you convinced of the truth of God's word, that in it God has displayed his wisdom, power, and goodness in all his works, has revealed the wisdom of his will in the scripture of truth, that in the scripture God has included all that is necessary for eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and that he has caused it to be preserved, translated, published, multiplied, so that men may find him in it. Do you intend to study the scriptures that you may teach what is in accord with sound doctrine and rightly divide the word of truth, not laying heavy burden on others' shoulders? Will you faithfully proclaim the living word of God, the faith received from the apostles and handed down to us in the holy scriptures? Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as a pastor to steward the ministry and resources of Jesus' church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in times of opposition and discouragement in such a way that Riverstone Chapel and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed? Do you recognize your continual need to be weaned from the control of men's opinions, saved from self-seeking and self-pursuit, kept from high thoughts of yourself or your work, ridded of the poisonous weed of self-righteousness, and fastened upon the rock of God's eternal goodness that you may have hope for yourself and for others? Do you affirm your calling to disciple your children, to father in such a way that they would understand that God shows his power by your frailty, so that the more feeble you are, the more fit to be used. Do you desire to rejoice in your infirmities and give him praise, to acknowledge your deficiencies before others and not be discouraged them, that they may see God's glory more clearly?" Do you commit to neither denying or diminishing your imperfections and sins, but confessing with a broken heart out of recognition of your need for continual repentance unto life? Do you commit to loving your wife, using Christ's love for his church as your guide, dwelling with her in understanding with a convicted heart that it is the meek and humble who are sanctified, quickened, and who evidence his love? Do you intend to celebrate the goodness of God as he reveals himself in this congregation with joy, rejoicing in the wonder that you are allowed to serve him and in finding all times happy seasons for your soul? I do at all times. Amen. Amen. I have vows for you guys, too. There is a calling, I said, for each of us. So Riverstone Chapel, our leadership team has agreed to these. So if there's only eight of us out there who are saying I do, then that's fine. But uh, you can hear this and see if you agree to this vow. Do you, the congregation present at Riverstone Chapel, as members of Christ's Holy Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as pastor, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God, you may accomplish the mission of the church and the world being a countercultural community seeking to live in an alternative and yet beautiful and compelling way, giving all due honor and support to his leadership, which the Lord God has called him to the glory and honor of God. We will. We're going to invite the leadership team up. If you're here, I know there's some of you. Come on up. We're going to lay hands on the bun fills and pray for them. Go ahead and join me in prayer as we pray for Ben and Kayla, Hannah, Sarah, Malachi, Josiah. God of our end, you have given Ben a fixed disposition to go forth and spend his life for you. If it is your will, let him proceed in it, and if not, revoke his intentions. May all he desires in this life be such circumstances as may best enable him to serve you in this world. To this end, may he leave all his concerns in your hands. Let him not be discouraged that his spiritual fervency might not be hindered. Let him be enabled to undertake some task for you. For this will refresh and animate his soul that he might endure all hardships and labor and willingly suffer for your name. O God, what a death it is to strive and labor, to be always in a hurry and yet do nothing. Alas, time flies and we are of little use. We pray that Ben would be a flame of fire in your service, always burning in one continual blaze. Fit him for singular usefulness in this world. Fit him to exult in the distresses of every kind if they would advance your kingdom. Fit him to quit all hopes of the world's entanglements and give him a deeper sense of his sinfulness. Fit him to accept as grace from you any trial that might befall him. Fit him to be totally resigned to the denial of self and to be content to spend his time with you. Fit him to pray with a sense of joy of divine communion and to find all times happy seasons for His soul, to see his own nothingness, to wonder that he is allowed to serve you. Fit him to enter the blessed world where no unclean thing is, and to know that you are with him always. Amen. Amen. When you plan a church, you're like, just dream and hope that one day these types of things would happen, right? Because you're like, I hope we make it. And this is just such like a joy to my soul, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do this. But one of the main concerns that both Ben and I had was that somehow someone would come to the service and misunderstand and think that we were intending to make a big deal of either Ben or myself. Becoming a pastor. Like, we're not trying to make a big deal of ourselves. God forbid we would take Sunday morning time to make a big deal of us. We're a church. We make a big deal of Jesus. Like, we make much of Jesus. We don't make much of ourselves. The church exists to make much of Jesus. So, I want to say this in as nice a way as I possibly can say it, right? the appropriate response would not be to say congratulations. I mean, like we wrote that, we read those expectations. Like there's confession of sin. There's humility. There's like denial of self. There's like his flaws are going to be exposed more than almost anybody in this church. Right. Cause he's up here leading and I'm going to be up here leading. Like this is, this calling of pastor is a call to die to yourself. Like Jesus died to himself. So congratulations probably isn't quite the right understanding of what's going on here. Like praise God, like thankful for what God is doing. Those are the types of things. We're, again, continuing to try and make much of Jesus. Um, The reason we did it like this is because the scripture said, he who desires to be a pastor desires a noble thing. OK, so the reason we took a whole Sunday morning, we did all this symbolism, we did all this flowery language, this poetic thing is because it's a good desire to want to lead people in the calling of the Holy Spirit. That's a noble task that somebody is called to. And I hope that there's people sitting in this congregation that the Holy Spirit is like, you're called to that. Right. That was why we did this. We could have just gone in a back room somewhere and like me and Ben could have made up a secret handshake and be like, You're a pastor now. Awesome. Right? Ten dollar online certificate, you're good to go. But we did it in front of you so that there might be some eight-year-old kid here that's like, I think God's calling me to do that. Right? Or there might be some 40-year-old lady here that's like, I believe God's calling me to step into my calling in a way that I haven't before. Or maybe there's some grandmas here that just came to watch their grandchildren sing and they're like, I haven't actually been obedient in the way that we see other people being obedient. I'm stirred up in my heart. So that's why we did it like this. Not to make a big deal about Ben or to make a big, like put him up on some pedestal, but to say as a congregation, we're all trying to do what God has called us to do and step into obedience. Does that make sense? Why do we do that? We do that because we believe that this is the proper response to the goodness our God has shown us, right? We are, we're responders. That's all the church is. We respond to the goodness of God. So I'm going to finish with this charge, okay? I'm going to charge it to all of you. Again, this is symbolic. My fellow laborers in the work of the Lord, yours is the foundational work of the church, I invite you to dedicate yourself afresh to the task in which God has called you in ministry. I therefore ask you in the presence of God and his church, will you rededicate yourself to the role that God has called you to fulfill in the body of Christ in support of his ministry and mission?